Thank you for joining us on the New Milford Youth Agency podcast from Youth Agency Media. We're your hosts, Evan, Sierra, Alex, and Jordan. And our guest today is Jamel. Jamel Farmer, LPCA, received his master's degree in clinical mental health counseling from Western Connecticut State University. He has had over 10 years of eclectic experiences working with individuals struggling with substance abuse, homelessness, HIV, and AIDS, along with working with the LGBTQIA population. He has also served the youth in Danbury through mentoring and sports programs since 2006 and has the equivalent experience of a registered play therapist. Jamel also has experience helping individuals through depression, anxiety, PTSD, anger management, and a wide variety of mental health concerns. Aside from practicing therapy in the community with his own private practice called Trellis Mental Health Center, Jamel works full-time as a behavioral clinician. Jamel is co-creator and co-host of the podcast The Controlled Chaos Show, which can be found on iTunes, SoundCloud, and YouTube. He is also currently working alongside the Danbury Police Department to help better community relations. He is also in the process of writing a book and is co-founder of a church in the greater Danbury community. He is a loving husband and father of three and is very active in his faith as a believer in Christ. Thank you for joining us, Jamel. No problem. Glad to be here. Thank you for having me. So could you give us maybe an overview of what you do and yourself? Um, yeah, so for myself, I have three kids, um, uh, live in the greater Danbury area, um, and I've been doing um, counseling, humanitarian work probably since 2006, so over 10 years. Um, some of the, some of the jobs or jobs I'm currently working now, um, I work for, uh, uh Danbury Youth Services, DYS, and, um, also I'm a, a clinician at, uh, Ability Beyond. Uh, and I have my own private practice. Uh, I'm a licensed therapist. So um, that's some of the stuff I do. I have my own podcast, which is Control Chaos Show podcast. Um, I do a lot of ministry work in the community, um, particularly Danbury. Um, and I coach and train my son, who's a national basketball athlete. So um, those are some of the things that I do that I can remember right now. <laughs> Thank you. <laughs> I mean, so for my podcast, we um, – me and my um my good friend Cash Walken, he um we we kind of mix up our podcast. We 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 talk about a lot. We talk about engineering, scientific things, health, politics, sports. Um, we mix it up. We have a segment. If we're not interviewing someone, we have a segment called Stay Woke, uh, where we um we talk about uh, maybe it might be homelessness, and we'll we'll dig into and dive into it deep. Um, I used to work in you know the homeless field for. Over, over four years. Um, also worked in the LGBTQIA plus community for four years as well. Um, get educated in HIV and um, Hep C and you know things of those nature. So we talk about all that stuff. Um, and I kind of use that and what I do for work and I put it on my podcast as well since I'm educated on it. Um, and so at, at my job at DYS, I also have a presentation where I touched upon some of this in, in our podcast, which was called, you know, inclusivity and diversity as well. Um, and with that, um, you know, it just, I just talked about, I talked about in front of the board where I brought up, you know, with diversity and, you know, including it and, in, you know, it was called un- unpretentious um, diversity. So just including, when we think of diversity, it's it could be, age, you know, gender, ethnicity, things of those nature. Um, and when, in, when I include that, you know, I, I showed, got to have numbers. You know, when you talk about certain things, especially with jobs and stuff, you got to show the numbers. So, you know, the numbers show that the production, the, you know, pr- the productivity of uh, certain, wor- you know, workplaces with diversity, you know, included being inclusive with the organization, whatever it is, actually progresses at, I think it was at least 30% uh, of most workplaces. Um, so, you know, it just shows like how important it is to have a diverse, you know, working environment, um, whether it's in schools or um, at you know, DYS, you know, you tend to kind of, you know, especially when you're in, you know, police station, especially when you're in that diverse, you know, area. 
Um, and even if you're not, it's still helpful because you're putting together a different culture, different minds um, all on the table. Um, and everybody has a different perception, you know, and if we look different, if we have different culture, we're going to have different things to bring to the table. It's going to that's going to help produce, you know, more, which that's what most people want. So I don't know. What are you guys? What are your thoughts on, you know? That sounds wonderful. I <laughs> personally am a huge fan of podcasts, so mm-hmm. that's definitely something I'll be looking into. Cool. Um, that's a very important topic for various reasons. Just everything that you kind of talked about, just mm-hmm. because these are quote touchy subjects. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, and so people try to stray away from them, which mm-hmm. is something that I admire about the agency in general. Is just because you guys kind of bring forward issues that are easily turned away, especially when you're within the realms of a small town mm-hmm. where a lot of the people look the same and identify the same way. So this is like very much appreciated. Mm-hmm. And um, like I have siblings that are going to be going through the school system and I've talked to you about how like I have concerns. Mm-hmm. So hopefully this will kind of like open up some eyes or doors or anything at this point to kind of create a better environment for everyone. Yeah. So, yeah. so you mentioned the school system. I mean, mm-hmm. we just recently graduated. So tell me more about what you saw in the school system, maybe about inclusivity and diversity. Um, be open. Yes. Yeah. So I actually wrote my college essay about how this school system kind of made me dislike school. <clears throat> and I use that loosely just because I – Moved from Danbury here when I was in middle school and going from a very, very like huge melting pot to here, it was it was an adjustment. And I was like, okay. Um, And it was something where I was just like, I understand that people are now kind of seeing something new, you know, like you don't see people of color that often here. But it was just like I felt like I was being ostracized all the time to where Mm. I didn't want to be in school because I just like I couldn't be another kid. I had to be something special. I had to be something ordinary, not in a good way. Um, Gaining unnecessary attention like that. Those were things that I was like I it was uh, a really it was a determining factor on how I felt about being in the environment that I spent so much time in. But I nonetheless kind of exceeded myself academically because I I guess what kind of went over anything else that I was experiencing with my peers was that I knew I had to succeed at everything I was doing academically in terms of extracurriculars. That was something that nobody was going to stop me from doing, not even myself. Mm-hmm. Um, so with that, um, I'm going to Howard. Nice. So that's a big thing. Thank you. Mm-hmm. Um, and kind of just looking back on it, I wish that... I guess you can't make a more diverse environment with somewhere that's not diverse. That's mm-hmm. You just can't do that. But what you can do is educate mm-hmm. people on things that they don't see every day. Um, and because this bubble of even being in this country is so small, but especially to make it even tinier to be in this town is just like beyond me that there are kids that I have encountered that do not believe that there's more outside of this town, that there's mm-hmm. more outside of the state. Um even within the same state, you know, they talk about how Danbury is so dangerous. And I'm like, okay. <laughs> or other places in Connecticut. Yeah. And I'm like, oh, you know, not really. <laughs> you, just, yeah. you know, you're used to being in a very sheltered environment, which is not their fault. But then that kind of yeah. goes into the whole, like, as a parent, you need to do better at making sure your child understands their surroundings mm. and that what they're actually in direct contact with right now is not going to be the only thing that they're going to have to um i guess like cooperate with or like to kind of like you're gonna have to you're encounter so many different types of people and so many different types of situations in life that you need to be able to be respectful of that and you don't have to be interested like i personally am very interested in other people's cultures and learning other languages as i come from many different cultures myself other people are not like that and that's fine it's just a matter of understanding where someone may come from hearing them out and being respectful for respectful from that point on so that was something that i definitely saw as an issue in the school system here and something that the administration didn't really 
feel the need to prioritize because I have gone up and talked to them about it and mm-hmm. nothing was really done from there. Mm-hmm. So. Yeah, I think that's important. Um, edu- you know, education on all levels. Um, I can imagine you probably had a whole bunch of like microaggressions. Oh yeah, like, macro. Um, yeah, macro. Yeah, <laughs> macro, micro. Yeah. you know, all of them. Um, like, oh, you know, your grades are good. Like, just you know, yeah. Um, yeah. now education is is important. Um, learn how to talk to someone. Oh, you know, your hair looks nice. Like, because my skin color tone is not, you know, of someone of lighter descent, something like that. So my hair is nice. You know, just. A whole bunch of things of those nature, you know, it's very important. And it, for me, it does start in the home, but it definitely helps when schools and, you know, other providers are on board as well. Um, and, you know, here, yeah, it's maybe not as diverse, but still, like you said, you know, it's education. So people are aware. You want to yeah. be, and be aware yourself, know who you are. Yeah. Um, so. It goes so many ways, like with your family or whoever's raising you and also in the school system. I... Mm-hmm. Made it a point junior year before everything shut down to ask all my teachers what we were doing for Black History Month just to see their response. I didn't actually expect Mm -hmm. anything because it's never been there before. Um, But then that led me to actually being responsible for creating a presentation for my AP Lang class, um, which I showed way past um, (laughs) Black History Month because I wasn't done with it. But um, that was something that it... Looking back on it now, I kind of wish that she wasn't like, you know, okay, well, you can do something if you want, because it it seemed like she didn't really want to do something for the class. But I still am grateful that I had the opportunity to do it. I don't know if anybody in that class retained any of it or, you know, felt anything by what they saw or what I was saying. But, you know, I knew that I did my part. Um, So that's just another thing. Like um, my mom went to DHS and I actually just met the teacher he teaches or I don't he doesn't anymore. He's now the principal, I think, of Ridgefield when a school in Ridgefield. But he taught. Yeah. Really good teacher. He taught multicultural studies. (laughs) And I met him at an award ceremony like a couple weeks ago. And I was like. I wish I had you. I wish I had maybe even not you, but just an opportunity to have a class like that or something. I would have appreciated that. Yeah. He was there when I went when I went to school a long time ago. I never had him, but he was just a, a really good teacher that a lot of people, you know, enjoyed. So and I, I met him a few times. So yeah. um but even in Danbury, it's very diverse. But when I was growing up the teachers didn't reflect the diversities. You know, there's there's over like 50 languages. I think Danbury is like number two in the country as far as different languages spoken in the school. And the teachers don't reflect that. Um, and so you, you have some miscommunication um, with the students. And, you know, sometimes, yeah, students may have a hard time, but t- the teacher may be able to help that as well. Yeah. You know, so I, I know for me, as you guys told you guys earlier, I didn't do that well in school. It wasn't until... I went to like college the second time when I started taking it serious. And I I did well in my younger years in school because I had teachers that they didn't look like me, but they cared. And so, you know, where I come from, it's, it's very high, you know. So if, if you're going to sit me down in the classroom, you know, it's almost like church. And I was like kind of boring for me, mm-hmm. you know. So we just got to find, you know, teachers that are able to reach some of the kids that, you know, aren't able to, you know, obtain the way like other people are in a traditional sense. So definitely reflection, you know, I know in Danbury is, is, is something that they need as well. Um, so, yeah. Maybe what can teachers do more? I mean, Jordan, you mentioned your AP Lang teacher and just maybe teachers that don't look like you as well. Like what can they do to make you feel more comfortable in that environment or maybe what can they do to appreciate Black History Month and everything like that? Well, I would say social studies is the hardest class to take as a person of color. Let's start there. Um, And that's not just being a black person. That's just being somebody. Honestly, it's an uncomfortable situation for any group of people because you're listening to things that happened a really long time ago or maybe not that long ago to people that look like you that didn't look like you or things that maybe a group that you identify with because that's how you were born, the things that you know, you're hearing about what they did to those people. And it's overall just a very, 
heavy it doesn't matter what social studies class but specifically u.s history mm-hmm. um <clears throat> i would say that as a teacher understand just like any other person understanding that you are not the same as much as we try to create this like sense of unity which is very important it's still creating a sense of unity without blurring the lines of differences if that makes sense Mm -hmm. so maybe if you know that you're going to talk about something highly uncomfortable that could even if it's just for one student in the classroom because that's you know my u.s history class there was three people of color including myself and it was a very large class and i just remember going in sitting down and we're like okay lynching and i was like okay great but there were visuals and there were things and there was just like so much to take in at one time and like Mm. i went into it without I guess a warning and I was just like okay and we all just kind of sat there and like we talked about it for after class and it was just it was intense and it wasn't like my teacher was very careful about the way that he went through the class that day but it still was like you're retelling a story whereas for some people depending on what you're talking about it is more than just that so I think understanding that the material you're sharing or trying to inform students on may be a lot more important or may hit your students a lot harder than it would for you. Um, because I have noticed that a lot, especially here, um, I don't think I had any teachers throughout high school that weren't white. Um, and that's over the span of four years. Even my language teachers are white. <laughs> so, uh, which is, there's obviously that's not anybody's fault. It's just a matter of like trying to be as understanding as you can as somebody who doesn't experience those things directly, if that makes sense. I think in school, that's where I experienced most of like the, like, the racist stuff. And so I think my first experience was actually in a social studies class. I was literally the only person of color in my class. There was about like 19, 18 people in my class at the time. And we watched this like thing about children and choosing a white doll over a black doll, and almost all of them chose the white doll. And then after that, mm-hmm. I had a kid come up to me, and he was like, "Yo, uh, just so just so you know, if you like, he, I don't know, it felt like pity, and like, like I get it, like he was trying to be nice, but he was saying like, just so you know, I don't see you as anything different, like we're all human." I was like, I, I didn't need to hear that. Like, <laughs> <laughs> like it's, it's one of those things where people are constantly saying, like, I don't see color. And I'm like, okay, well, that's kind of a problem because I think when you say that, mm-hmm. you're disregarding. Maybe you don't feel it. By saying that you don't see color, you're you're kind of, again, blurring the lines of, of differences because mm-hmm. if, you, if nobody saw color, then what would we do? We just kind mm-hmm. of be coexisting with one another and pretending we'd be in the giver. That's what we would mm-hmm. be, okay? Before the, when it was black and white for the entirety of it. Like, mm-hmm. it just, it's not, like, I don't understand how I'm supposed to interpret that. It was that supposed to be, like, uh, that's not allyship. Yeah. I think one of the things is and with teachers, you know, especially when, you know, most of them don't reflect the diversity or, or the minorities. Um, we said it here, we we'll say it a thousand times, education, you know, they have to educate themselves, you know, go through those various trainings. I think there's, you know, much more that they need to do, more mental health um, assessments. Mm-hmm. Um, and a big thing that a lot of people, which your friend probably doesn't realize is something that is called implicit biases, um, where, and you said it with the white doll and black doll. So there's, there's my mentor, he wrote a book, well, it's called A Black Tax, really good book. And they showed two baseball cards. Mint condition, same baseball card. One was shown with a, a, a Caucasian hand. One was shown with a, a darker hand. Seventy-five percent chose the card with the lighter, the Caucasian hand, and not even realizing. And nobody saying anything about color, but the only thing that was different was the color of the hand, and it was just like a thumb in the hand shown. And they all picked that, and that's called implicit biases. You know, some people might even say it's somewhat racist. Um, and that's where people have to realize we all have implicit biases, mm-hmm. you know, and it's wh- how you behave and what you do after you have that, that implicit biases in you, you know, mm-hmm. so you explicitly don't show it, you know, the way you're feeling it. Right. Mm-hmm. Um, 
And so, and, and I, I got this thing, I don't know, and I, I could be wrong, but I've been talking to people about, you know, we, we know what stigma is, right? I feel like now we're at the age where racism is almost like, it's like a stigmatic word or something like that, where racism is racism, right? You know, you, it is what it is. But I think what we need to do now is if you see somebody that appears to be racist or implicitly biased, let's talk about it. Let's figure it out together, mm-hmm. right? You know, um, th- I'm telling you what I'm feeling. No, I'm not racist. I'm telling you what I'm feeling. So how about we educate and, you know, educate each other, let's ed- educate each other, understand each other, come to a middle. Um, and so I think that would help with, you know, being implicitly biased. And, and some of that stuff is, is brought, on us, brought on us by TV, by what we watch, by what we listen to, stuff like that, things of that nature. And I think when we're aware of it, we can do better of it. You know, um, I'm a licensed therapist, and it's one thing that we that we were taught in class was called flash judgment. Everybody comes in, you know, friend. I might have someone that uh, maybe a child molester, you know, but then the day for me as a licensed therapist, I have a therapist. I have to see them as a client, they're a human being for me. So all that has to it has to go out mm-hmm. out the window. Um, and I think we just have to do a better job of realizing and being aware of our Im- implicit biases, like your friend or some of these teachers. Um, and just stop struggling with it. It is what it is. Yeah. You know, stop struggling with it. That's what it is. I understand it's hard. I understand that, you know, you don't want to be labeled, you know, a racist or stuff like that, but you're showing behaviors of being racist or something like that with your implicit biases. Mm-hmm. Um, and they need to understand that. So I think that's, that, that's key for grow- growth. And I think, too, with that, I've been using the phrase over the past year, racial insensitivity Mm. or being racially insensitive because it's not, I I think people don't understand that goes back to having those biases. It's like, you don't understand that you don't actually have to do something that in your head is Mm -hmm. racist for it to be hurtful or offensive or insensitive. Um, Because maybe what you think is wrong is still wrong but that's where kind of like people don't really know what microaggressions are or mm-hmm. macroaggressions mm-hmm. or, um, and I, that's something that also needs to be talked about because you don't sexual aggressions right yeah. you don't understand what it means and that's okay but that kind of goes back to teaching people about mm-hmm. what these things are whether it be in school or whether it be at home or even in the media because honestly like. I think our generation it goes very much. I don't even know what the age range is, but I will say that <clears throat> me and my siblings are in the same generation. However, they are seven to ten years younger than me. They are going to be a part of the first age group to grow up where there is constantly a form of an electronic or the internet around them. The internet for like people who are between the ages of like eighteen to like twenty five was there it just wasn't really like a big thing until we got older but we spend so much time scrolling and looking at things and honestly we are so influenced by the things that we see through screens mm-hmm. that we it's almost like we're spending as much time with people that we don't know just as much time as with the people that we do know so the media also needs to we need to find a way to kind of include these conversations there too um, because that's gonna be difficult. It's gonna be difficult. It's there though. Some of it is there. It's that's just... that's where. That's why I love my podcast where we have stable. <laughs> that's where I'm just gonna be honest. It probably won't happen. Maybe on certain stations, uh, it will. But that's where it's very important for us as adults, as parents, to do our job for us to stay woke, um, and stuff, things of that nature. Because when you're talking about TV and social medias, they're all out for power. They're all out for money. Mm-hmm. That's nine. Ten, I'm not saying all of them, but most of them. Mm-hmm. And when you got power and money, they're just going to feed who they're going to feed to gain more access to more money, more power. Mm-hmm. So that's where we as individuals have to do the best we can, um, you know, with educating, you know, our, our kids. When If we have kids on the people around us, if, you know, our friend may offend us in some type of way and we, we check them, we, you know, that's where we have to do our part mm-hmm. um, and on a on a, it's going to be harder because we don't. It's going to be harder to do it when, you know, we don't have the the the, the platform like other medias. Yeah. Um, you know, the most we have are probably like podcasts, but TV, even even like for example, Fox. That's 
dedicated towards a certain group. Mm-hmm. You know, MTV, it's for a certain group. Um, I don't really watch too much TV. I just know, you know, these are just, it's, it's even to show that maybe in a positive light, that's, they're doing that on purpose as propaganda because they want to attract that particular, you know, demographic to get gain money and power. So we have to be cautious with that. But, you know, I agree. We still do our best. We still, mm-hmm. you know, do what we yeah. can. Because it's very discouraging to, like, see the same types of things over and over and over again. And, like, like I said, the as the younger kids grow up, that's all they're going to see. Because at least we briefly had a time where we didn't see that. You know what I mean? Um, But there's just, there's a lot. And, like, there's so many layers to it that it's, like, probably the biggest onion ever. Because it's not just like you want to talk about racism. Well, there's so much that goes into it. And so much things that so many things that you wouldn't even look at because it's like, you know, and it's really hard. Even people who fit in that community don't see it. So then you want to ask people who doesn't it doesn't affect them at all. It almost is like it feels impossible. It's not, but it feels impossible sometimes. So I feel like social media too isn't really helping with kind of racial issues because it for a lot of places it provides a way for someone to be racist and be able to hide themselves with a lot of yeah. backup accounts like i mm-hmm. i remember a little bit ago i don't know if you're in the soccer but the euro cup final happened and bukayo mm-hmm. saka missed the final penalty which made england lose the game mm. and his instagram and twitter were filled with uh, racial comments toward mm-hmm. towards him being very very mean yeah. it, was, it was hard to look at and he came almost, out with that, right? Hmm? He came out with that and talked about it, yeah, right? He, yeah, he talked yeah. about it, yeah. yeah. And uh, and most of those accounts weren't people, like they were backup accounts that you, you weren't able to figure out who these people like were. So you, mm-hmm. yeah. The, the, yeah. They were able to like be racist and yeah, yeah. like hidden. Like yeah. The international soccer is big. Yeah. <laughs> it big. is such a dangerous place Like to have people, very, very young and impressionable people. I mean, it doesn't really matter, actually, the age group, to be spending so much time on social media when, just in general, for safety reasons, but mm-hmm. things like that, obviously, it gives people a sense of power and it gives them mm-hmm. like just so much more courage that they would have instead of talking to you person to person. Mm-hmm. Um, and that, that's the other thing I would say, is, and then I'm big, and I, I talked about it in my presentation, where we should educate, do teachings, assessments, but something when it comes to, like, you know, diversity, you know, inclusion, stuff like that. On top of doing that, in, in order for it to be a shift, it can't just be – because what happens? You guys are young, but usually, you know, even even if you do with school, you, you if I, at school with, kids, with young young adults or adolescents, with me as adult going to trainings, you do it, you you learn something, you do it for two weeks, and that's it. You know, that's great. You should have that, but something like you know, you know, diversity, you know, again inclusion and race stuff like that, it has to be bigger than that. You know, you have to, like you said, Jordan, you have to have a conversation. It has to be brought to the table. You know, training and assessments and teaching isn't enough. You know, that's one of them areas where you guys, people have to sit down. Both sides have to sit down and it has to come to understanding. You know, um, there's even times where, you know, I talk to minorities. I'm like, all right, listen, maybe we were being too, you know, uh, insecure. I don't want to say insecure, but maybe we were thinking wrong. You know, we're capable of that too. I'm not saying that, you know, but sometimes we kind of have the right to be mm-hmm. to do that because what we've been through, you know, but at the same time, sometimes we got to check ourselves as well. All right. Are we doing the right thing? You know, um, but still, you know, again, we have the right to do that. I feel, I believe that, but it's something that two sides have to come to a table and, and, and it's not just teaching and, and, and assessments and training, you know, um, people on Facebook, stuff like that. We come to the table, um, and, and, and kind of talk it out and figure it out. Otherwise, we're always we're gonna have this forever. This is a mm-hmm. this is a long standing thing. Mm-hmm. Uh, so yeah. yeah, I totally agree. And like, just I think it's interesting that we were talking about allyship and social media, mm-hmm. um, and how there are a lot of people on social media trying to be allies. Um, but it is kind of a little quick moment 
almost, mm. especially during the pandemic, the Black Lives Matter movement became mm. super big. And at this point, it's kind of died out. And it's it's really hard to, I'm assuming it's very hard to watch kind of people jump on that train and then just be able to jump off of it. Right. Mm-hmm. It was extremely hard, actually. Mm. I, who that was a moment um, because I was able to filter out the people that I surrounded myself with very quickly. Um, I'm not sorry about it. (laughs) I feel like I'm in a much better place because of that. But I definitely think that that moment was very much so needed for the world to see and for the world to experience. But looking back on it, I'm like, I still feel like, and there is, still so much more to do and it's like it was momentarily it was what two months if that and then it was just like okay you know and it's one of those things where even we you know we're having these conversations it's it's this BLM was something that kind of just filtered into everything like into my job into um kind of sort of the work uh not the workplace on school maybe a tiny bit but not really um, you saw it everywhere and it was like, I can't even tell if people are being genuine or not, because mm-hmm. are you just trying to, mm-hmm. you know, dot your I's and cross your T's? Is this what is this just like another thing that you're going to have to do on your to do list so that you are making sure that you're checking all your boxes? Like, mm-hmm. I can't. It was one of those things where I want to believe you as an ally. I want to believe you as a company that I support. I want to believe you as maybe somebody I look up to. Um, but I don't know if I can. And sometimes I couldn't and I learned that the hard way. And that's, you know, maybe for the best. Um, But I think also with BLM, a lot of people didn't know this, but it was an organization way before it was a movement. Mm -hmm. So in seventh grade, one of the first projects I did when I moved here, I guess kind of as a statement was I did research and I did a whole presentation on the Black Lives Matter organization. And this was in... 2015 so this is not new um (laughs) and i think a lot of people obviously didn't know that and that's okay but then they kind of were just like you know where did this come from and then Mm. obviously you lead to like the all lives matter and blue lives and all this other stuff (laughs) and i'm like oh dear (laughs) which unfortunately is something that i see quite often being in this town um oh my god I don't know if we're allowed to like name places or things, but there is a place in town that I actually just had to go pick something up from the other day. And I was highly uncomfortable um, because they made it very clear their beliefs on the matter when I walked in. And I actually, I already knew going into it. And I was telling my mom, like, please don't make me go here, please. She's like, it's fine. You're just going to pick it up. And I'm like, no, please. I'm begging you. And (laughs) of course, I was there longer because they didn't have it ready. And I was just standing there. And I had like three people come up to me like, oh, do you need anything? Like, no, (laughs) please leave me alone. I want to leave. Mm -hmm. Um, So it's just... It was like an all lives matter. Yeah. You got the flags and everything. Mm. And like the police, like case was the first thing you saw when you walked in. I was like, oh. It's mind-boggling how <laughs> you can point, you can, you can show them the facts and the numbers and uh, of a particular minority group, and it's mm-hmm. still, we know all lives matter. Yeah, it's not the it, problem. It's not the <laughs> issue, you know. I think mean, a lot of people struggle to see that we are at a disadvantage and that mm-hmm. we are simply trying to let you know that we matter. We don't want anything extra. We don't want more than you. <laughs> Yeah. Like we're asking for the bare minimum. Literally, the bar is on the ground, and you guys managed to dig a hole. Like I don't understand. And it was just it, it hurt to see my quote friends right to be on the other side. I'm like, all right, whatever, bye. But then what sucked even more was to see people that looked like me that were like, yeah, I don't know. I'm like, what do you, you don't know? <laughs> what do you mean you don't know? I'm like, listen, do you boo? But at the same time, just know that you can only use, let's say they were biracial, because this is who I'm speaking about. You can only use your whiteness when it's convenient for you. But I can tell you right now, looking at everything and the way that everything has played out, it's not going to benefit you in the situation. Mm-hmm. So 
I'm like, I'm biracial, but guess what? You don't know that by looking at me. Mm. And even if you did, I would still want to do my part to make sure that I'm safe, that my family's safe, that people that look like me are safe, and that people that don't can understand. But it's just not important to other people because to them it's like, well, these people are putting themselves in situations that cause them to die. I, mm. I really, I didn't understand their argument. Yeah. And I was like, all right, well... <clears throat> I can't help people that don't want to be helped. Yeah. Yeah. So well, uh, being bi- hey, I'm biracial myself, and yeah. I tell you what, standing on that lawn looking for this place, <laughs> I'm saying like, man, I hope they don't think that uh, yeah. I don't belong here. You know, and that was actually a concern. <laughs> you know? And had... that's something that goes through my mind yeah. while I'm coming <clears throat> here to do the podcast. It's like, man, I'm, I'm out of. I, I know where I'm at. I'm out of the ordinary. Yeah. Um, because it's happened before. I mean, I was in Bethel with my son, just me and him playing basketball, and four police drove up. You know, mm-hmm. uh, this is a, when all that stuff was going on back then with, you know, George Floyd and all that. My wife was paranoid when I told her four police. Like, what do you need four police for? Mm-hmm. Um, but area that I'm in. So, um, yeah, so I, I'm biracial, so I don't ever think. That yeah. you're safe because <laughs> yeah. you're not. And that you, oh, my God. That's, it's one of those things where it's like, okay, I'm filling out this form. What boxes do I fill in? And I'm like, okay, well, racially, I'm black and ethnically, I'm Hispanic. And mm-hmm. do I hit other? <laughs> like, I don't know what. I hit others sometimes. Yeah. I, I, for me, particularly, I, I just, I'm very uncomfortable with the word race. Yeah. Um, it was something that was created, what, like in the 70s, 80s, something like that. Um, so I'm very uncomfortable with that word race. And that's something that we use in the United States. Um mm-hmm. So I most sometimes I just I just put other like yeah. I don't got time of doing it because yeah. I'm also I'm also you know my great grandmother she's Cherokee the native she's Cherokee yeah. half um, so you know and if it says Native American no no it's native you know <laughs> yeah. it's not you know um, so <laughs> I also think that's a good thing is um, differentiating race ethnicity nationality there are different things mm-hmm. from my understanding this was something that I had to inform myself on because mm-hmm. this was not something I was told. Um, Race is kind of like, well, what do you, quote, look like? Are mm-hmm. you white? Are you black? Mm-hmm. Well, what do you do if you're neither one of those things? Exactly. You know what I mean? Exactly. That's the problem. That's where exactly. all these, like, lines are like, uh, I don't mm-hmm. know. But then from my understanding, like, ethnicity would be where are you from in the world? What country are you from? Mm-hmm. Or where do you stem from? And also that's still an issue because yeah. if you are African-American, most of the time you don't know. Every time I write down, I always think about, I have a poem that I wrote. I never put it out there, but it's like, like where, where, where am I? My, I believe I'm from, have a descent from Africa, Africa, but I don't know anything. Mm-hmm. So when I feel that out, I, it makes me every single time. Mm-hmm. It kind of tears me apart every time I write. I have to fill something out that says ethnicity or race because, like, I don't know where I'm from. Yeah, I don't know where. Like, I don't know. Yeah, <laughs> and you shouldn't have to pay yeah. whatever the cost is to take a DNA test to figure it out. Yeah. it's not that easy. And, and even then, I still don't. I just don't yeah. trust. Yeah, because <laughs> it's like okay. <laughs> there's um, been so many, you know, experiences. Experiments. They say this, and they do something different. The government does something different to the minority group, or, or even American people. It's like, well, how do I even trust this? You know, I have the, I have a DNA box. My wife got me one for Christmas, I believe. It is. I think it's been two, three years. I'm like, I want to do it so bad, but I just, yeah. I just don't know if I can trust. You know, it's, it's, it's difficult, and that's the, you know, kind of anxiety and stuff. You know that, you know. Do you even want to know? You know exactly. You know that's 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 the. The PTSD, you know, you know, uh, so or post-traumatic stress, uh, slave yeah. syndrome, uh, what 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 somebody coined coined right. it as well. Yeah, yeah, so much stuff from in the past, you know. You know um, when you think about it, people that were being lynched, they didn't have therapists, they didn't have people they could go to to talk about this stuff. Mm-hmm. So you know, that 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 trauma, that stress, that being afraid kind of sticks in the DNA as the next lineage comes down the mm-hmm. line. So, you know, we kind of have that, mm-hmm. you know, in our DNA, for, some of us for minorities, you know, in all cultures, yeah. not even just, you know, African, you know, African people from Africa or whatever. Um, and so that's where some of the stress come on top of what you experience in life. Yeah. You know, so like I was, 
I was 10 years old living in Danbury. And I remember we just had a regular party and the cops come blazing in there with their guns, their shotguns and stuff, and told everybody to get on the floor. And I'm 10 years old with my, you know, stomach on the floor. So I, this is more, I, I wrote a book, so it's my book. You get more detail, but that's like, that's crazy. I'm 10 years old. Why do, what the heck? I don't yeah. know what's going on here. I just see guns. Um, so, you know, um, yeah. That's definitely, it's a lot because mm-hmm. it's like, People talk about generational trauma. Mm-hmm. And I think that's a term that's actually used more often now mm-hmm. than it ever has been. But I don't think we really have sat down and like talked about, grasp what it about grasp it, right? Right. Yeah, it's like, yeah. yeah, this is and this is amongst all minority groups because this is something that, you know, this was never talked about or we just kind of, this is how it's always been. So we're just going to keep doing that to our kids. Mm-hmm. And sometimes mm-hmm. it is subconscious mm-hmm. because you that was the way you were raised. So that's all you know. So then we just keep going. And this is why yeah. we are still dealing with the same things that we were dealing with 400 years ago mm-hmm. because mm-hmm. nothing has changed. Um, racism is something that is stemmed in every culture mm-hmm. growing up or being raised by Hispanic women, being, you know, told that, you know, being, you know, your mom or your aunt choosing to be with black men all the time was a problem because they were raised to think that being darker was a problem. My grandmother never seeing people that look like her on her Latin shows or whatever and always questioning why um, that was the case or why the only people that, you know, they spoke the same language as her, they just never look like her. Mm-hmm. This is something that goes into every single mm-hmm. culture and it's not just exclusive to our own, our own community. It goes back super duper far. Mm-hmm. Um, Preserves like that, Dominican Republic is like mm-hmm. that. It's really bad. It's, so, it's a tough yeah, yeah. situation that, again, if we're not being like, you know what, no, there's absolutely nothing wrong with having a darker complexion. There's absolutely mm-hmm. nothing wrong then, okay, your friend is lighter than you, your, even your family. Um, uh, Lupita Nyong'o, who was in Black Panther, she wrote a children's book um called Solway. it's a really good book and i bought it for my sisters um and she talks about you know the main character is a lot darker than the rest of her family her sister in particular who is the same age as her they're twins just so happens to be significantly lighter than her and so the whole book is just her understanding that she and her sister are just that they're just sisters and despite what the kids may have told them on the playground like it doesn't change that um, and that was something that she didn't realize until the end of the book, obviously. And I appreciate that because we talk about racism with out, outer communities mm-hmm. kind of into our own, but we don't talk about it within our own. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Um, colorism is mm-hmm. a huge issue mm-hmm. within various different minority groups. Um, and it is just always going to be that the fair complexions are going to be favored. Mm-hmm. Um And so that is also something that I have an immense amount of hope for our our generation that we kind of try to suppress as much as physically possible. Mm -hmm. Um, Because aside from the fact that you have literally no control over the way that you come out of the oven, um, we need to be better at being more inclusive, whether that comes to beauty products Mm -hmm. for people or even like I was so excited to see band-aids that were brown. I have so many <laughs> in my medicine cabinet. Um, just like trying to be better at making sure that people know that you are beautiful and it doesn't matter on what scale of your com- the complexity scale that you are on because that literally does, says nothing about who you are as a human you know being. And you're beautiful, period. I tell people that feel that they're not attractive. As a man of God, I'm telling you. You're beautiful no matter, you know, what people may think you look like mm-hmm. on all levels, color or just you yourself. You're beautiful. Mm-hmm. Um, so definitely. And I, going back to BLM, um, I think it's important, you know, like you said, it's been around for a while. And I think sometimes where like when all the, you know, George Floyd and, you know, a lot of the stuff started happening, we had more or kind of people call it a movement. Um, some people kind of took advantage of the BLM and made it their own thing. And a lot of people that don't understand BLM or didn't know how far it goes back, they kind of, oh, you said BLM this, but they're doing that and it's something negative. 
And that's like, that's not the BLM. Mm-hmm. That's not the original, you know, organization. That's something that may, they may have took that upon themselves and kind of, you know, did what they wanted to do and call it BLM. That's not what the criteria was, not what the mission was, the, you know, the, the mission statement. Um, and so, but people don't look, look into it and they'll never know. They're just going to go off of what they see. Um, that's, that's, once again, it's important, you know, for education. Um, but also for people in any movement, make sure you, fi- if you find those people, you know, messing up the, the, the organization, organization or the movement, you call them out on it. You know, just don't let them do whatever it is. Um, so. And that goes to ignorance versus arrogance. Yeah. <clears throat> because ignorance you're naive you don't understand something because you haven't been exposed to that but i think it's very very difficult to be ignorant now because of how much ac- you just have to google it's really not that hard <laughs> if you wanted to know google and read know. just don't google and okay. look well, yes yeah, read. um <laughs> this is it is so easy to inform yourself there are yeah. so many sources around you not just google there are so many books and there are mm. so many podcasts mm. and there are so many blogs and videos mm. and there's so much information. And that's where we kind of trickle into the arrogance because now you're just kind of, you see it all happening. Mm-hmm. You see that it's all there and you're turning your face because you don't want to see it. Mm-hmm. You don't want to look, you don't want to learn. That's on you, I guess. Like I can't, mm-hmm. you know, like going through the middle school here in particular, I never got the like, oh, you, your hair looks nice. It was always something negative. And I was like, oh my God, I don't have time mm-hmm. for this. But I always have a million, this was like I was playing 21 questions every day um, about my hair because it changed so much. And I was okay with that, but I was very, I, I was very quick with my responses because I developed like this like superpower of recognizing people being genuine or not. Mm-hmm. And I remember um, this kid, he was, I don't even remember what he said because that's not important. But I remember my response just being like, if you really wanted to know, you would just look it up. There are so many videos on YouTube if you really wanted to know, but you're just being a butt. (laughs) (laughs) You just want to kind of push all the buttons to get me to be upset about what? Like what I have on my head does not bother you. It does not, well, clearly it bothers you, but it doesn't concern you. It doesn't affect you. It has nothing to do with you. Mm. So if you actually are intrigued by how the technique of the braiding, then you can look it up. It's not that hard. Um, I have no problem answering questions about hair, but like I said, I can tell when you're being genuine or not. Um, And hair such as just like i'm sorry i'm like switching but like there's so much that goes in like i said it's a huge onion but mm-hmm. hair in and of itself it was in our own group huh it was within our own group yeah you know i know like i was guilty i'm like, I'm like man that person hair is nappy yeah. you know it was like, like it's not this... the right thing to say you know i learned that later in life don't yeah. call somebody here nappy you know yeah. and, and that's me saying that to you know you know my my own culture, um, and it's some stuff that I just saw on TV. You kind of make jokes, so you know you, you learn not. You know I've learned not to you know say that as other words. You know to yeah. There's uh, there's just so much there, and I, I spoke to Sierra during our pre discussion about um, kind of recognizing that a lot that we see now and that we've seen for a while goes back to black culture. Mm-hmm. Almost not everything, but a lot of things do. Um, and I think like when we talk about hair in particular, it's a very difficult conversation because to be quite honest with you, I don't really have a straight answer. Mm-hmm. Um, you want to get your hair cornrowed, just stand in the corner, stand very far away from me. I I can't, I can't give you a yes or no. Like, I'm not going to sit here and dictate what you want to do. Because to be quite honest with you, when people do have these conversations of whether something is or is not okay, and I tell you how I feel about it, and you're still going to do it. (laughs) So why, you know what I mean? Like, you're kind of, at least from my personal experience, when I have people ask me questions about hair or about certain derogatory terms, um, it's like you're almost looking for my approval, but then when you're when I don't give it to you, you're like offended. I'm like, okay, okay, I don't know what you wanted me to say. I want you to understand that there are certain things that are made for certain people with certain textures to the hair, or certain you know, like there there's criteria, and if you don't fit that, then then maybe we can have a discussion about it. But I also feel like there, like I said, it goes back to the whole thing about being genuine. 
if I can see that you are trying to just like pry because you feel like you're entitled to something that you're not entitled to, then I can call you out on that because I can see it. But I do have friends who are not black, but they're also not white. And they're just kind of like, I have really curly hair. What do I do? And I'm like, uh, I don't know, <laughs> actually. And I wish I could be of more help to you. But I think that's just kind of like a decision you're going to have to make on your own. But I have these issues with, you know, my mom um, is not black. And she was going to high school at a time where it was okay for white girls to have cornrows. And then we bump heads all the time because, you know, she I tell her I don't want to have these conversations because we're not on the same page. <laughs> and I don't want to I don't want to get into it because you kind of just like push me to the side anyways. But she's always like ready to talk about why it wasn't OK and all this stuff. And I'm like, I just I'm just trying to explain to you that there are certain things that are created for certain people. And now we have people just kind of like sweeping it from under the rug or from below us and like they're being praised for it. The Kardashians are like the perfect example of that. <laughs> the perfect example for that. I, I saw this video of this woman, I believe it was like in New Jersey or something and she started doing like, she called the extension something and I'm like, that's a sew-in, what is that? Like, yeah, yeah. you know, it's just like rebranding things that were not made for you, that were not made by you. And that's what sucks. So, but you're okay if, if someone's genuine about doing it though. Genuine in that, like, you need to educate yourself on it first. Where does mm -hmm. it come from? If I ask you a question, are you going to know the answer? That's mm -hmm. a big thing. Like, I wear waist beads. Mm -hmm. Then the question comes, well, what are the parameters for wearing waist beads? I'm like, well, I'm not from, I'm I, from my understanding, <laughs> I'm African in the same way that you are. I'm not ethnically African mm -hmm. or from an African country. So I did what I need to do on my end mm -hmm. to inform myself on where they come from and who, how, what they were used for and all this other stuff. I mean, honestly, if you do that and you do your part, I'm not going to come mm -hmm. down on you for it. Mm -hmm. You know what I mean? Like people try to find so. loopholes too, where, mm -hmm. you know, it's like, well, my great, great grandmother was did it. And I'm like, <laughs> uh, <yeah. laughs> I don't know. No, I asked that question, you know, I know with this, you know, realizing whitewashing, you know, faces, stuff like that and hair, stuff like that. Uh, I grew up, so I grew up in a, in Danbury and a place called high Ridge. It's not there no more. It mm -hmm. was, it was actually dangerous, mm. <laughs> but guess what? You know, to New Milford or whoever said it, Danbury's dangerous. Still a lot of love there, mm -hmm. um, but you know, it was a higher crime rate, um, and there there was people that were Caucasian and they wore braids, mm -hmm. um, but it was like part of the culture in in this community where I was from. You don't really, like you're not thinking. Oh, he's he's just doing that because he's trying to fit in, or he's not, you knew it was genuine. You didn't really. They're part of your family, you know. So you know they would get braised, and not once do we think like, "Yo, you're doing too much." Mm -hmm. So I would I would say, for me personally, if it is genuine and it, it, genuine and and it's within certain like, if you if you grew up like that, then that's how you grew up. You know, like I have a client that you know. Dark skin, adopted by Caucasian family, but that's his mom and dad, right? So everything he does, like literally, that's his mom and dad. You cannot tell him that's not his mom and dad. Mm -hmm. So he's gonna adapt to what they do. So in, in in the same breath, like you know, some of the, it's not that many, but some of the Caucasian males that I do know that we grew up that was in that community, in that that hood, that project, whatever you want to call it, um, or people, whatever people want to call it. That's not what it necessarily is, but. They would have braids, and it's just how we were raised, how mm -hmm. together. So, me personally, I think if it's with if it's in with respect and 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 we're, there's no second guessing, I, I think it's okay. Mm -hmm. so. I think the a, another layer on top of the education thing, though, that's very important mm -hmm. is recognizing that when you're wearing it, it's okay, but when I'm wearing it, I'm ghetto. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Because that's that then yeah. kind of goes into the white privilegedness of mm -hmm, it. Mm -hmm. Um where and that is something that has always blown my mind was yeah. like this was created by black people and now it's being taken from mm -hmm. black people and being adapted. And it was created for a reason. 
Yes. Like, it's was, not, it, it wasn't, wasn't just because. because. Yeah. Um, it wasn't just because. And like, now yeah. it's being adapted by other people. And now the people who created it are being like ostracized for it. Mm-hmm. And mm-hmm. Um, that's just what's very disheartening about it all is like, mm-hmm. it's okay when you do it, but it's not when I do it. Mm-hmm. Or mm-hmm. it's trendy when you do it. And it's not when I do it. Mm-hmm. There are people getting, you know, there was the wrestler who had to cut his dreads off before mm-hmm. he went into it, before he went into the match. Or like, there's just always, like, I remember that the time that that was happening, I was in track. And I was like, okay, this is like a really stupid question, but like I know that there are specific parameters for when I'm throwing the shot put. Like, it, is there like anything that I need to know? Like, what if my hair at the time I had like really long locks? Like, what if it like what? If, and I was asking all these questions, and they were like, no, you're fine. I'm like, okay, I just want to make sure, yeah. um, because these are things that we have to be conscious of. Mm-hmm. Um, we shouldn't have to. Yeah, it's we shouldn't have part. to. And I, you know, I, I, I've been playing an instrument since I was in fourth grade and um, going into high school being the marching band, my locks didn't fit in that marching hat. And it wasn't until my mom came busting through the doors, ready to start fire, that they were willing to order a larger hat. And now my first question is, why wasn't that the first mm-hmm. move? Why wasn't that the first, you know, like, why did you tell why was your first response to take out your hair? And not oh my let's adapt. I mean, I was drum major last year, so it must have paid off. But my point is, is that so you had to go through that. By yeah, way. yeah, thank you. Yeah. Um, it shouldn't have that. Shouldn't have been the first response, mm-hmm. and mm-hmm. that you know goes back into the school system. And like we can make circles and keep going all around. Mm-hmm. But I think it's just recognizing where things come from, giving them the due credit, and it wouldn't hurt to talk to people about it. If you're if you really want to do this hairstyle you really want to wear these waist beads or you really want to do this or that like but you're highly concerned about who you may be offending and you don't want to hurt people then talk to them about it Mm -hmm. i know i said i don't have the answers but i'm talking about me personally you you can find somebody that will be willing or people that will be willing to have these conversations with you and will maybe have more answers than me or somebody like me might um because it doesn't hurt to ask and at least that way, I know that maybe you are coming from a more genuine place than mm-hmm. somebody else. Mm-hmm. So, yeah. sorry, I'm like watching the time because I have to go fine. soon. <laughs> you mentioned something super important, which was adapt. So, mm-hmm. how do you think everyone can start to adapt um, now to kind of make your experience better as a black person in society, in this town, or school, just anywhere? Um. I guess checking your biases, mm-hmm. avoiding your prejudice, um, and not making people of color feel like they are much more different than I already know that they are. <clears throat> um, I would say to address your pre- prejudices. Mm-hmm. Address it. Yeah. Because... Like, it, it sucks because I feel like the, these aren't things that people should have to adapt to in general. But mm-hmm. obviously we do. Um, but it's just like, I guess adapting as a society or as a town or as a school, as a school system or a student body is just like understanding your surroundings and being conscious of the things that you say um, and the things that you even feed yourself. Like mm-hmm. I said, like, Yes, social media or media in general has very, very, very specific goals, and they're going to do what they can to reach those goals. However, you can filter your feed to look a certain way. You can filter Mm -hmm. your intake and what you tell yourself, and that also kind of goes back to the arrogance. Do you want to behave a certain way? Do you want to say certain things? Do you want to have a certain mindset? That's completely up to you. And that Mm -hmm. just goes for everything. Do you want to achieve the goals that we were talking about earlier? Do you want to, you know be able to run that mile or the marathon or whatever the case may be. Those are all goes back to your own mindset. So you have to, like you said, like address it before you kind of go into it, if that makes sense. Mm -hmm. Um, Because once you kind of clear everything in your head um, and you go into it with like a a clean mindset of being like, you know what, I know that I'm different from this person, but I'm not going to try to make them feel like 
it's the only difference, you know, like, or it's the only apparent thing. That's the only thing that I see. But also not just turning your face away from it and being like, well, I don't see it at all. Like, I don't see the color. I wouldn't think of you any differently after we watch that. Like, you have to kind of find that middle ground. And if you have questions, then ask. It's okay. ask. (laughs) Because I'd rather you ask and maybe have, like, a temporary little moment of, of being uncomfortable or, or discomfort than for you to go off into the world and think that something's okay when it's not, or think that you can't say something when it's okay to, or speaking up or speaking, you know what I mean? Like there's mm-hmm. a lot that goes into it. And I think that's why a lot of people get discouraged, but. It's only a little bit uncomfortable. That's, very you know, little. You know, where we, like us, our minority particularly, probably would tell you they're uncomfortable a lot mm-hmm. through a course out of a 24 hour day, yeah. <laughs> you know? Yeah. Um, so you can do it a little bit of asking questions so yeah mm-hmm. i think another really big part is educating younger people and i don't mean like me as a 17 year old i think much younger people because when i found out that because i produce more melanin i live in a world that's much more different than my friend that's why i'm in danger in a way and like that was like the worst feeling of my life when i figured it out that i was like it just clicked. I was like, that's why like, I get looked at in the IGA. Mm-hmm. That's why people think I'm taking this or, mm-hmm. or I'm going to like fight someone or something. Mm-hmm. And I think I don't want anybody to go through what I did, which was like, I think I developed like a sort of like anxiety because of that. Mm-hmm. I feel this like paradox of like a terrible feeling in my mind. Like why? Like just because I'm darker and all that. And like, mm-hmm. I feel like that's why we, we really need to like educate the very young people. Cause that's, I think that's a really important part of their life because that's like a big base of what they're going to feel in, in the future and stuff. Cause I know that, I don't know, I think I could have reacted differently to a lot of stuff. Cause the way I looked at it, when I saw videos of like police doing all these bad things towards mm. black people or Hispanics, I looked at it as like, oh, we got to do something back. We got to mm. do something back. Like, Retaliation. We, we so, and then, I don't know. It, 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 made me hate police no matter like who they were the military police the state trooper like NYPD. so i think that we definitely need to educate people on how to like react to certain things just like that mm-hmm. and there's a lot of misunderstandings which is why these conversations are so important because you know when you say black lives matter then they're like okay so you hate all the police and i'm like no no, that's not what I said. Um, <laughs> that's what you yeah. heard. Um, and that's the problem is you're, I, I, there's just so much misinformation that's being transferred mm-hmm. overall that it's like. Arrogance and ignorance. Right. Mm-hmm. So I actually have to leave. Yeah. I'm sorry. I have to go to work. <laughs> I would have to text and be like, I can't come in. I'm sick. <laughs> oh no. uh, so do we have any final thoughts, maybe questions left or? I wanted to bring up one thing. Um, we talked earlier about how your story when you had the police, you mm-hmm. and your son and the police pulled up mm-hmm. and how it affected you. And because mm-hmm. I remember, I think it was back in fifth grade, my first experience, we read an article about um, a, a black, um, I think it was a high school that was killed in Missouri. I don't know if mm-hmm. I don't remember his name. And that was my first kind of experience with learning about the sort of relationship between police and mm. people of color. Mm. And I've kind of seen it grown over time mm. as it consistently happens. And then with uh, George, uh, the murder of George Floyd last year and the, all the BLM, it felt like that would be a turning point, but we haven't really seen it. We've seen, um, mm. we've, we've conti- we saw just a month later, I'm pretty sure Jacob Blake was shot by police mm. and it's kind of just other people. continued mm. and it's just why is this not stopping and is there any way possible that we can control how to control the police to have it stop? So it's going to take time. Um, Mm -hmm. It's going to take time. Um, So I've, I've been arrested for something I never done before um, several times actually. Um, And I, I do have the right to say, you know what, bump y'all, F y'all, I don't care. But I actually work with the police. Still, even though I've been arrested for something I have not done, I try to work with them to help them, you know, um, training, mental health assessments, 
like deep mental health assessments, seeing where their implicit biases are, um, you know, psychology testing, you know, and then these conversations, you know, it's, it's going to take a lot. It's this whole cold thing, because even the ones that do be on minorities or anybody, um, their partner that doesn't do it, they're not talking. So that has to be checked, you know, um, as well. So it's going to take a lot of time, um, a lot of resources. Um, There's like so much. Yeah. I think also, you know, people talk about how hairdressers need more schooling. I don't know if that's entirely true, but that's what that was. Well, the police, if you go to academy, it's only six months. Right. And how like how does an associate degree take two years, but you are you have somebody's life mm-hmm. in your hand mm-hmm. on a day-to-day basis, mm-hmm. and you only go for six months, mm-hmm. yeah. something like that. that doesn't make, and you only have, like, one or two trainings a year. Yeah. Yeah. You know, and it's, it's so. like their whole their whole approach. I do, I do like what they're doing now with trying to bring mental health providers on board, which needs to happen a lot more. But even them, you know, they need to learn how to talk to people. It's not all it, – we have to understand, too, their job is dangerous. Mm-hmm. So they we have to understand that. But still, there's time, there's a way – to pro surface. Like when I came in here, I see you guys are young. I don't have that. I'm not one of them dudes. Oh, I'm older than everybody and you guys are young. So let me, t- I don't hope you guys didn't get that feeling, you know, cause I remember being young and someone, <laughs> I remember being young and people like, you know, like they look down on me cause I'm younger. No, like treat me with respect the same way that mm-hmm. you want to be respected. And sometimes police for, they don't treat people with respect because mm-hmm. they have this power. Right. You know, and, and they abuse his power. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And it just comes to a point and like to kind of give it to you from maybe what a person of color may be feeling to constantly like drive home, especially at night and like try to be very careful because the last thing I want to do is to get pulled over is utterly terrifying. And like I run it through my head sometimes where I'm like, okay, this is what I do. Like I've never been pulled over, um, but I've been in a lot of other car situations. <laughs> so let me not. But my thing is like, I know that I'm a respectful person. I know that I, you know, I'm going to school, like all this stuff. But then it just comes down to, and I'm like, what if they don't care? You know what I mean? Like, what if to them, like I say one thing wrong? Like, there's just so many things that run yeah. through my head, and that's where people are just like, well, you don't like police? It's like, no. It's just that I personally just never want to be in an encounter with that, no, and I feel no. like I have a right to that. You know what I mean? Yeah. Um, I'm in my mid thirties, and every time a police officer gets behind me driving, every time. I pull over. I go somewhere because I want. I don't want. I don't want yeah. them to be behind me. Right. Like I, the anxiety that I have and what I've been through in my history, I don't want no part. So I'll pull over. Uh, like, and it, it may be me. It may be me. But from my experience and from what I see, I don't. I don't. I don't want to chance it. <laughs> I don't want. Yeah. I don't want to risk it because I have been in those positions already. Yeah. You know. So I, I pull over. I pull into a daycare. I pull in somewhere just so I can keep on going. Mm-hmm. You know. I'm so, so sorry. My shift no, starts in five fine. minutes. <laughs> so, Jamel, thank you so much for no coming. And thank you to our guests, Jordan yeah. and Alex. Thank um, you. We thank you so much on behalf of Y Media for your time, your knowledge, and your experiences, as this is a very sensitive topic. So, no. thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you to today's guest for sharing their time and knowledge with us. And thank you to all of our listeners for tuning in to this month's podcast. To find the resources mentioned in our discussion, check out the description box. This podcast series is produced by YA Media, where our goal is to serve our community through education, communication, and awareness. Stay tuned for more upcoming projects.